Joining us on the show now, Matt Welsh from the Trial Files. G'day, Matt. How are you? Very well, James. Very excited ahead of uh, a huge week out at the VRC out at Flemington Racecourse. Now, we don't look back. We only look forward, but I do want to look back slightly. Last week, what we're running here, the $100 a week spend, well, nice and early we were in front. We got that first winner, and she only just missed that trifecta. And Eftemum's race, it could have been... Could have been anything, but uh, but not a bad week last week on the uh, on the hundred dollars spend. We'd we'd have a little bit in the bank to uh, to launch into today, I'd imagine. Absolutely. Hopefully, a few of the listeners were smarter than me and uh, backed Eptimum straight out at the good price. But uh, and uh, Aloysia there, and uh, I think Cliff's Edge, Quinella the last. I think everyone in Australia must have been on that Quinella because they only paid two dollars down here in Victoria. <laughs> I know, and uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it was pretty, it was pretty dominant too, wasn't it? The the way they sort of split the field up, that's for sure. So, well, look, as I said, we look forward. Derby Day, one of the great days on the calendar, if not arguably the greatest day on the racing calendar from the purest. The Derby time on its race look looks pretty open on paper. A few have fallen by the the wayside. That potentially we're heading that way. Looks really, really open. What's your thoughts? How have you sorted them out for the Derby? Yeah, well, I think Cliff's Edge, who obviously was runner-up there last week in the bars, would have gone around a very short-priced favourite, but uh, Darren Weir opted to put him in the paddock. The speed map's interesting. I've got Grey Cliff from the Matkamani yard leading along with uh, Weather With You, and I think next in line will be Ace High. Tangled will be up there with the blinkers on the first time, Rocker Rail and Ocean's 14. And then a few of the more favoured runners, Sully, Main Stage, uh, both in the... Uh, uh, from the Trent uh, Buster and Natalie Young yard. I think they'll get back from wide draws. So it, it doesn't look a huge amount of speed on paper, but with a number of these horses getting to the 2,500 metres for the first time and also, James, the, the very short run into the first bend that we have from that start at Flemington, I think they'll generate a, a strong enough tempo. Uh, look, it, it really is an open race. It's hard to be hugely confident, but I've gone with Sully. I think he is the most talented horse in the race. He continues to do a huge amount wrong in his races. Uh, he was all over the place at Bendigo three starts back. He looked like a, a wayward out of control shopping cart, but still managed to get the job done. And then he's been up to Sydney and, and run extremely well uh, on two occasions, most recently in the spring champion stakes uh, behind uh, Tangled and Ace High, who won that race. And that looks a really strong form reference for this. So, look, I'm going to go with him. I'm concerned about how far he's going to get back and how much he may well do wrong in the run. But if he can put it all together on race day, I think he'll be charging late in around $8, $59. I think Sully looks a good bet. Ocean's 14, uh, trained by Aaron Purcell, who's having just a dream spring after taking over from Kieran Maher due to suspension. Uh, this horse has only had the three starts to date, but... I thought he should have won the Geelong Classic. I think that looks a reasonable form reference this year. He's going to get a lovely run, Ocean's 14, and around that $13 mark would be my second pick. And then two at big prices that I think will really relish the trip. Uh, number four, Eshterach, trained by uh, Hayes, Hayes, Dabitik, and also number nine, Passaro for Robbie Lang. Passaro was just grinding to the line behind Aloysia, and... In spite of being 10 lengths astern of uh, that filly at Mooney Valley, I think um, that's the strongest form reference. I think he'll really appreciate the 2,500. So I've gone six, Sully, ahead of 11, Ocean's 14, four, Eshterach, and nine, for Sarah Jones. But you can make a case for a stack of these. I think Astoria, 
So James Cummings, who's shooting for two derbies in a row, uh, was very good in that Geelong Classic, and obviously uh, Tangled and Ace High have to be respected. So wide open race, but Sully on top for me. Okay, and just for the listeners on Oceans 14, Luke Nolan, the rider there, if you want to listen to Luke's thoughts on this horse, we caught up with him. So if you look at our SoundCloud files or just follow through Twitter, you'll see we put up a link there. We spoke to Luke, who's, of course, uh, we're based up here in Queensland. He's a Dolby boy, Luke Nolan. He's talked to him a few times on the program over the years. So we had a chat to him about Oceans 14, and the touchdown could be a pretty big week for uh, Purcell and Nolan because you'd imagine, imagine he'd be going fairly close to an in the Oaks, wouldn't he, with Aloysia? That's probably yeah, quite politely. Yeah. You'd hope so. I mean, she's into a dollar sixty now. Uh, a few mates in her, and they're very excited about uh, Oaks Day, and they've had a great ride so far. And she, honestly, she looks one of the, the best fillies that we've seen in a while. So she looks very smart, and all things being equal, uh, Purcell and Nolan should get her home on Oaks Day. Uh, James, what did he say about uh, about Ocean Sport, eh? I said that he felt that most certainly the, the horses stay are of promise and and obviously still very green. I said just ob- I think you know the obvious concern just being potentially has it all come a little bit soon. It's only the horse's fourth run, but uh, but he most certainly thinks it'll run it'll run the trip and thinks it's most certainly a chance. That was probably the only question mark he put on it. Is just you know has it all come a little bit too quick? He, he really spoke quite bullishly about this horse come the autumn. So, so obviously there's a fair bit of improvement there and maturity to, to come. But um, but yeah, I, look, you know, I agree with you just looking at some of those runs and listening to Nolan. There's, there's, there's obviously an opinion of, of the horse. So, you know, if you're happy to be on it in the derby, potentially it's one as well. If it doesn't go to plan, so to speak, tomorrow, to definitely keep tabs on for the future. So uh, Ocean's 14, yeah, it looks a good chance. And just would Aloysia have won this race? She was in it. Uh, I think she would have. I think she certainly would have, James. I think mm. uh, with Pino and probably Bring Me Roses, uh, who goes around in the wakeful. Pino obviously won at Caulfield a couple of weeks ago and is going straight into the Oaks. I think the Oaks is a significantly stronger race than the Derby. I think all three of them would have gone very close in the Derby. And uh, yeah, I think Aloysia would have started. I think she would have started a dollar fifty against this field, to be honest. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, she's certainly been the dominant. Staying three-year-old, there's, there's, there's no question mark on that. Look, we might have a look at the Group 1s. It's a huge day. They're all group races. They're all fantastic races. But four big Group 1s. Talk about other open races. We just said the Derby's nice and open. What about the Coolmore Stud Stakes? A three-year-old Group 1, there's 20 of them that are going to come roaring up the straight here. Form lines from all over the place. Queensland is in it as well. We've got two, Hutson and Eptimum. Eptimum we talked about last week. And the New South Wales horses, the Victorian horses. And look... Nice three-year-olds in this, and it looks really, really, really open. How did you dissect them? Could you give us any help here and give us a lead on anything? Yeah, it looks a very tricky race, James. One of the, the best races I can recall in recent times down here. I think you know you couldn't have a better three-year-old sprint race. Uh, I was at a lunch midweek, uh, a lunch in a well to, to welcome Lester Piggott to Australia, and, and Matty Hill was there, and our race caller down here, and he certainly wasn't looking forward to uh, trying to call 20 horses uh, down the straight, especially once they split. But uh, whilst it might be a race caller's nightmare, it is sort of going to be a great spectacle for the punters. I think, you know, we breed sprinters in this country, and races like this really are the pinnacle of our industry. Uh, obviously, the Melbourne Cup is, a, is probably the biggest race we have, but, you know, that's going to be likely won by an international bred horse, whereas you know, this is the very best that we have, our, our sprinting three-year-olds. And 
A couple of these trials down the straight last Friday, which is important. Uh, Viradine had a very quiet trial down the straight. Uh, the local Queen or your local Queenslander, Hootson, looked really sharp in a jump out down the straight. I think it's going to be uh, very competitive up on speed. And at uh, Kementari, uh, back from the, the Caulfield Guineas, also jumped out nicely. So they're just a couple who had a bit of experience down the straight. I'm going with Invincible Star for Gay Waterhouse. Uh, she was awesome at Caulfield. She ran really good time. I think so long as they let her run early and, and get a few of these off the bit, then she'll be hard to beat. And uh, she did win uh, down the straight this time last year, beating Medinity, so has had the straight track experience. I think Eptimum is a horse on the up. I mentioned last week what a stunning-looking individual he is, and uh, he just continues to impress. He ran really nice sectionals there at Mooney Valley. He can certainly go on with it. Viradine looks the best of the uh, New South Wales horses. Brad Davidson's been rabbiting on for weeks about how good this individual is. And, uh, you know, it was a bit of a sit and sprinty one last start. He ran really good closing sectionals. He's got to sustain that throughout here. Awkwardly drawn in gate one, but have to throw him in. And then Trapeze Artist has been a horse who, you know, won the Golden Rose at 50 to 1 or thereabouts. But you know, if you take away his price, he was just utterly dominant. He ran awesome time, and if he can sort of repeat that again here, he'll be in the mix. So without a huge amount of confidence, so I've got 19 Invincible Star ahead of 10 Eptimum, 5 Viridine, and 1 Trapeze Artist. But, you know, I'd certainly listen to anyone making a case for any number of the uh, 20 runners set to do battle because it's a very talented lineup, and uh, you know, certainly won't be a big betting race from my perspective. Be a great spectacle, though. I agree with you 100. percent Be a race caller's nightmare, but from the uh, from a from you know from a punter or a viewer's perspective, it's I reckon it's nothing better. 20 of them roaring up the straight, splitting in different directions, and all the rest of it. So, but anyway, as a city, I don't envy the uh, the race callers in that position. You think I should, being the son of a race caller who has called them up the straight <laughs> at Flemington, I should be potting this sort of race? But no, I love them. I love the straight race. Yeah, to be honest. <laughs> now. They don't get much easier in the Maya Classic again. There's another one, not up the straight though, but you're going to have 20 of them around the bend over the miles. It's got the Mayor's Group 1 weight for age. Very open again here. Uh, what do you like in the, in the Maya Classic? Yeah, another very tricky race, as you allude to. Um, Shoals has come up early. Favourite, as, as uh, we record this, about $4.63. Year old filly down with the lightweight. Dean Yendall rides that Friedman train filly. And, Look, she's out to make it two in a row for the three-odd fillies with I'm a star winning last year. Thought she was a touch under the odds. I've got her in as fourth pick. I uh, just leaning towards Global Glamour. Uh, she won well first up. That was off a decent spell. I think there should be good improvement from her. You know what you're going to get. She's going to be up on speed, fighting it out a long way. So I've got her slightly ahead. I thought sort of light number 12 was huge odds at around $31 plus. She comes through the same race as Global Glamour and uh, the wide draw meant she settled a little bit further back than she will on Saturday and she had no luck over the concluding stages. So I could certainly entertain something each way on her. And then Silence Edition is another really tough on-speed horse like Global Glamour. She draws better here today. She had to cover ground behind uh, Global Glamour in that Caulfield race. So they're the three I'm leaning to. Two Global Glamour ahead of 12 Sort of Light, five Silence Edition, and 16 shoals, but you know, I think it's another race you need to go wide in the quaddies. Include uh, the New, uh, the, sorry, the New South Wales horses here in uh, Heavens Above and Dixie Blossom, who both ran, ran very well in that mm-hmm. Nivison up in Sydney, and I think uh, they have to be respected. So, 
Wide open race. I'm with Global Glamour just ahead of uh, Sword of Light, though, who looks the value. Now, the other group one rounding out the quartet, the million-dollar Kennedy Mile, which is race number eight. 14 to go around here, or 14 acceptors at this stage, of course, final scratchings in the morning, but 14 to go around here. Again, looks pretty open, but can you find one for us here in the Kennedy Mile? Uh, James, I'm going to stick, well, not stick with, but I'm going to lean to Toast and Stardom, who was dominant in winning the Turak Handicap last start. I think if he can repeat that effort, he'll be very hard to beat. I think the value might be all our roads. The Chris Waller-trained uh, horse here who gets to a mile for the first time in this preparation. Uh, he was forced to cover a lot of ground in the Moonga Stakes. Draws uh, a soft gate here, should get a nice run in transit. Uh, the other one I'm really sort of keen to include is Sovereign Nation, who uh, was flashing light, um, hitting the line really strongly behind Toast and Stardom. And I'll probably throw uh, everyone, the punter's mate, Tom Melbourne, into the quaddy who... I'm interested to see how they ride him. There doesn't look a lot of speed on paper, so whether Glenn Boss, who knows the horse really well, decides to go forward, uh, we'll wait and see. But they're the four I'll be including in the quaddy, and I'll be backing uh, Toast and Stardom and having uh, something on all our roads as well. Okay. Keen to get your, your thoughts on the Lexus, because, of course, here, I think what all of them, with the exception of Ecuador, have had a cooler need to win to get into the Cup on Tuesday. Yes, a slightly disappointing Lexus. From my perspective, I think Harlem only needs to repeat what he did in the in the Caulfield Cup to be winning this. Um, he didn't have a huge amount of luck at the top of the straight or, or just coming around the home bend and uh, probably could have finished, been right in the finish there. He was dominant two starts prior to that at Caulfield when running really good time. He almost broke the track record that day. So I think the 2,500 metres will hold any concerns. And I had him on top in a race that I wasn't really keen to get excited uh, from a betting perspective. I think... Kel Storm, the OTI team have been taking all before them this uh, this spring. They've won just about everything, and uh, Kel Storm might be the danger. And then uh, probably the Gay Waterhouse test is Montaigne and Ecuador, who will be the likely pace setters. But all things being equal, James, I think Harlan's probably the horse to beat. Okay, look, we've dead set nearly done all the races. So I, want, I listen to hold all tickets as I do each week. Anyone who wants a, a really good listen on a Thursday, it's uh, it's one to listen to. Matt Welsh on and that with Brad Davidson. Uh, Gibbo and Shane, uh, it's Tom Haylock. It's a really, really good program now. So I need to ask you about a listen there, and I understand you're very keen on one in the first. So we better talk about it in the Carbine Club. Oh, very keen here with uh, Lavendi, James, number seven, trained by uh, Manny and Peter Gallagotis down at Moe. Uh, I think this bloke was stiff not to be right in the finish of the Caulfield Guineas. He won very well first up at Mornington, over 1,200. Uh, off a slow tempo there, he then ran acceptably in the uh, Guineas prelude and, and was fantastic in that Caulfield Guineas. Uh, after the scratching at Kalionic, he basically picks himself here. I think from gate five, he'll settle a lot closer and uh, be too strong late. So keen to have a bet there, keen to play Lavendi. I'll have a small save on Octobello from the Mick Price yard. Uh, this is a slashing colt. He looks brilliant in the mounting yard. He'll stand out on Saturday and... Uh, he was unlucky at Caulfield last start. I thought he should have been right in the finish, and uh, he's the danger. So probably one of the, the races I'm keenest to bet into, James Race 1, backing number 7, Lavendi. He's around $3.50, $3.60. I can see him starting probably shorter than $3. I think the punters will really come for him and then uh, have a save on number 11, Octobello. And you also spoke very positively about one in the second, the Wakeful, the, the, the lead-up to uh, for the Oaks here. 
Yeah, last chance for these horses to sort of prove themselves, I suppose. Uh, worthy of a spot in the Oaks on Thursday. It's traditional that they run on the Saturday and then back up on the Thursday, which is not something our horses do as much uh, in this day and age. I mean, was, uh, well, obviously history will tell that Farlat won all four days of the uh, Flemington Carnival one year, but uh, obviously we don't run our horses quite as often as that anymore. But Brimmy the Roses was uh, super in winning the manifold last start. She ran really strong late sectionals. She was nearly a second quicker than Winks uh, over the final 600, albeit obviously one was a, a much stronger tempo race uh, and also at 2,000 metres. But I think she only needs to repeat that effort to be very hard to beat here. So I think she can win. I think she'll put herself in the Oaks picture. Uh, not necessarily saying she can win the Oaks, but I think she can run a place in the Oaks. So race two, number one, bring me the roses. I think the dangers at odds might be... Uh, Smooth Landing, who was good at Caulfield, gets the blinkers on. Pure Scott, who was out class stroke at an unsuitable distance in the 1,000 guineas. I think she's been crying out for the 2,000 metres and will it be even better suited at the Oaks distance of 2,500. So they're the two at odds I could entertain. And then Lover Lover, trained by John Sargent, who comes down from Sydney, has to be respected. She'd been a touch out of form or not really impressing uh, this time in, but she really hit her straps last time when uh, a fast finishing second to Kaonic, and that uh, does look strong form. So bring me the roses on top in race two, and I can entertain something very small on Pure Scott and Smooth Landing, both at big odds. Okay, so you said the wait for one of the traditional lead-ups to the Oaks. Now, digress slightly, but on the same topic. Interesting topic we're talking about here when you say the horses traditionally lead-up to the wait for into the Oaks. That's been, uh, I guess... It's, time-honoured path over, over a period of time. Uh, the McKinnon used to be at, at times a traditional lead-up to the Cup, which is only a couple of days prior. Now, if you had a horse running Saturday, let's just say at Terralgan, and then they backed it up the following Thursday at Pakenham, you'd be thinking, gee, it's on a quick backup. Why do we not do that, for example, with a, with a wake? Or do you think times have changed? Is that the old method where, looking at Aloysius not going around in this, he's been saved, obviously, a more traditional lead-up in terms of how we see horses today. But are we going away a bit from that tradition of horses on the quick backup? Of course, I know why some in the Lexus need to, because they need to get into the, the Cup. This is their last chance to do it. But, you know... It, it, Interesting theory, I'm just thinking along those lines, because as I said, if you had just a normal race, if you, instead of I had one on Sunday at Toowoomba and then backed up Thursday at Kilcoy, you'd be thinking, geez, they're serving it up to this, but, um, but yeah. this is sort of a different story. Yeah, I mean, from a punting perspective, is really the only sort of side I can comment on, and if I see one that's sort of backing up quickly, I, I think to myself, gee, it must have done well, you know, it must have really thrived for that run a couple of days ago, and I probably mm. elevated in my thoughts, I, okay. I, I think... Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's a really good thing. I think hard runs for horses bring them on. I think um, racing brings horses on. And if there's a horse that's four or five weeks between runs, and there are a number of them that are sort of four weeks between runs going to the derby, which I do have some concern about, you know, you think, why has it taken them so long to get back to the races? Have they had an issue that, that they needed to recover from the last run? Have they had a mishap? Why has it taken so long for them to get back to the races? Whereas if they're... Backing up the next week or within a few days, I think to myself, gee, they must have done well. They must have thrived out of that last run. They must have eaten up. They must be really enjoying the work. And the same goes for barrier trials as well. If they trial on a Monday and then turn up and race the Friday, the Saturday, Sunday, I always think that's a real positive as well from a punting perspective. Whereas if they trial on a 
on Monday and then raced three weeks later again. I think to myself, why has this happened? Is there an issue? Have they taken a bit of time to recover? So I think it can give us punters a good insight why trainers choose to or have over the time chosen to evolve the sort of uh, traditional pars over the spring carnival i'm not sure james but uh mm. yeah i think that it, it can give us a good insight from a punting perspective and there's certainly leads we can take mm. no interesting topic i so a quick story on on, on that i remember now a horse that won this race the cornwall toowoomba horse gold edition trained by ron morn she was obviously a very tough filly and mare and won a number of group ones and and anyway and i ron morn being for toowoomba and of course i got to talk to him quite a lot as a journalist in those days and i remember they went down to Melbourne the Tuesday before the Coolmore. Apparently she absolutely scorched the turf, burnt grass, and her head out up the straight. And I remember Ron Morn was tickled pink and said, she's spot on, that's exactly what I wanted, she's right to roll. And he mentioned that a number of individuals around Flemington, some leading trainers as well, had sort of mentioned to the owners at the time, gee, you're mad, that, that, that horse left its best gallop on the track. It'll be flat. Yeah come Saturday well she came out on Saturday and blitzed them by further than obviously did in the trial so I'm curious just that's the story that reminds me when you, what you talked about how you as a, as a punter if you see him on a good trial and back up on a quick backup makes you think well this horse has done well and that's a perfect example of it that I can just off the top of my head I, I know without a doubt and there was plenty of critics the madman from Toowoomba down here with this filly that's uh, you know she's lifted on the track in the trials on the Tuesday well jump out on the Tuesday but yeah it, she had, she showed no signs of ill effect when it got to the big one. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that's the key. You know, you, you, especially this time of year when the racing's so competitive, you need fit horses. So the harder the races they have, the more it brings them on, the better their condition is. Now, obviously, some of them, you know, won't handle the the hard racing or the fast races, but those ones will be turned out for a spell. If they're turning up here on Grand Final Day, Derby Day, you know, you're going to want to be a fit horse to beat some of these leading contenders because mm. this is the time of year that everyone aims for so it's very hard to mm. win races and, and you need those horses who have had the good grounding and that's exactly why Royal Symphony's not here Derby Day why uh, Cliff Sedge's not here they obviously haven't done what the trainers are happy enough as you said to be 100% in peak fitness come grand final day so um, yeah yeah. but anyway that was an interesting topic there now last week as I said, the $100 betting strategy, we, we finished in front. So I'm going to put you to the test again. Let's say for any of our listeners or followers, we've got $100 to spend on the races at Flemington. What's your advice for us? What are we going to do? How do we spend it? We'll try and spread it across the card. I think trying at the cash early, James, it's a, a tricky betting card, as I said. I'm going to load up a lot of the money in race one and race two, have $30 a win at Race one, number seven, Lavendi, and five dollars to save on number eleven, Octavello. Race two, twenty a win on number one, Bring Me the Roses, and five dollars a win on Smooth Landing, number nine, Big Odds. In race three, one we haven't touched on. I think this is a really open race. I think Late Como, number seven, for Paddy Highland. This horse just goes like a bomb fresh. He uh, loves the straight at Flemington. He's recorded three wins from five goes down the straight and. I spied a little jump out of him at Cranbourne a week or so ago, and he looked outstanding. So in a really open race, I think race three at number seven at Lake Como will take beating first up and around $8. Happy to have $10 on her. Race eight, number one, Tosin Stardom, $15 the win, and at number 12, All Our Roads, $5 the win. And 
Another one we hadn't touched on, another straight track race, race nine. I'm keen on Rich Charm, number 11, who she was super at Caulfield. She uh, overcame a few issues in the run up the straight to, to win. Yadida Clark, who trains these horses, is a great character. She's so passionate about racing. You hear her interviewed in the mountain yard after the race, and she just enjoys it so much. And it's great to see this horse doing well. I hope that uh, Yadida will be back in the winner's circle on Saturday because I think... Uh, her horse, Rich Charm, has a great chance of winning the last. So $10 a win, race nine, number 11, Rich Charm, to close us out. Okay, well, we've effectively covered all nine. So there you go. So you've got your thoughts on all nine races. What about the uh, the country now? Since we've been speaking, we've had enormous success with these horses and uh, and they come through your specialty of following the trials. We got the money last week, the best bet won. The week before, we uh, we had some success there as well. Is there anything going around? Have you, have you found one for us on the provincial circuit? We'll head to Taraugan. Uh, odds aren't up as yet, so don't uh, crucify me if it comes up a dollar twenty. I think I think it'll probably come up <laughs> six to four plus here. Race. To it, Taraugan, a maiden, number three, Don't Blush Baby. Uh, this uh, gelding was really good at packing them on debut. I think we mentioned it uh, on that occasion, actually, on your show, and got nabbed right on the line. Oh, yes. Robert, yep. Robert Smurden, he'd been back to the trials at Sandown, uh, sorry, Caulfield a couple of weeks, or just after that run, and he jumped the lids really quickly. He uh, won that trial comfortably, looked to have come through his debut running great order. I think for Samuel Payne, He'll rush forward over the 1,100 and take a stack of catching. So to Raugan race two, number three, don't blush, baby. I was in the same race, just a really small save on number eight, all points west to debuts for uh, Lisa Enright, who's a, a trainer down at Mornington who unearthed a sensational gelding a couple of weeks ago down there at Mornington. But um, this gallop had a few trials in Sydney for its previous trainer, a four-year-old mare, and uh, she had a quiet jump out for Lisa Enright since coming south at Packenham. And I just think if a horse is going to run over the top of Don't Blush Baby, this four-year-old mare might be the one. So Taraugan race two, backing number three, Don't Blush Baby, and just a small save on number eight, all points west. Okay, and last but not least, and most certainly not least, Tuesday Cup Day, a little bit of water to go onto the bridge yet with the Lexus and barriers and everything along those lines. But have you settled on one, or can you? What What's your thoughts on the Melbourne Cup at this stage, anyway? Yeah, Joe, I'm going to sort of spend Friday night and Saturday getting stuck into that. But as I mentioned, I was at that lunch during the week uh, with a number of respected uh, international buyers of horses. Uh, obviously, a couple of jockeys who had won a Melbourne Cup and and a few journalists who who had been out at uh, at Werribee and. All I can pass on to the listeners is that everyone was in agreement that Red Cardinal's absolutely flying. Uh, they opted not mm. to give him a run since arriving in Australia. He does have a few issues, from what I gather. Uh, can be a, has had a few sort of niggles that have, have interrupted his career. But from what I gather, and I'm only passing on information here, that if he turns up in his best order, he's the one that most uh, trainers are fearing. I thought... Uh, you know, our mandate has to be a good chance of, of going back-to-back. Back. There's no doubt about it. He uh, has done little wrong. Um, has to be respected. And, you know, it's just such a hard race these days with all this international form. It, it sort of takes a long time to get your head around it and work out uh, exactly who you like. So just passing on information, Red Cardinal seems to be the one out of Werribee that's turning the most heads. And, uh, look, I'll have uh, an article up uh, on Super Racing closer to the time with my final selection. 
Okay, well, we'll follow that now. Brad Davidson, forever the journalist and uh, statistician. I spoke to him before. Now, if Red Cardinals to win, it will be the first since vintage crop, which is in 1993. And he informed me as well, 97 horses since Red Car- uh, since vintage crop have attempted to win the Melbourne Cup first up or without a lead-up run in Australia and uh, have failed. So... 97 runners and, and Red Cardinal attempting to be the first one since 93 since the great finish crop to, uh, to win the Melbourne Cup. So there's a few statistics anyway. No, he's very good with his stats, Brad. And I know he has spent a hell of a lot of time getting his head around these internationals. So I expect he's going to have a far more set opinion on this. Just the other one, I, I sort of mentioned Marmelo when we recorded Caulfield Cup. Um, preview and he's probably the, the best of those that I've seen have a run leading into this um, mm. but I think there's every chance that that, that um, streak of horses not winning first up uh, well not winning fresh off the plane is, is every chance of changing this year so I think it's the you know there's been plenty of place getters who have placed first up off the plane so I think that whilst that stat is obviously damning from a, a victory perspective I don't think uh, you know I think there's been plenty of run really good races Okay, and you guys, some hold all tickets. You'll the bands back together. You, you'll do a preview show for the Melbourne Cup. Or I think I heard what Monday. Is that right? I think we're going to try and do it. Yeah, record it Sunday yeah. evening and have it out Monday. So that'd be exciting. And uh, right. Brad, Brad, I think's in town. He's going to be hosting a range of uh, autograph signings, and he's got a Calcutta to host as well. So he'll be a busy man. Uh, and it, look, it's going to be a great week down here. Weather's not not exactly overly kind for the for the ladies getting into their frocks on Derby Day, but hopefully it'll improve as the week goes on. Oh, look, the action will be uh, the action will make up for any sort of weather down there. I'm sure. Anyway, we look forward to it. Well, Matt, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you. Uh, really great insight there, and uh, and let's hope we can continue the winning run. Enjoy Derby Day, enjoy Cup Day, and we look forward to talking to you on uh, on the final day of the Carnival. No worries, James. Been a pleasure. Thanks, Matt.